the Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today for another Saturday, getting you up and moving for the weekend, trying to get you ready to go. Although it's dreary today. It's dreary this morning. I know it's supposed to calm down a little bit later on, but hey, we're going to do the best we can and enjoy it this whole next week as we go into Labor Day, the unofficial start to the summer here in a week. (laughs) We end up cooling off for a week and getting rain for most of the week. So that'll be fun. Lots to get to today. Hey, welcome to the program. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the show, we have a lot to get to. Uh, top of next hour, in hour number two, the Wichita Barbecue Store. They'll be talking to us about getting ready for Memorial Weekend. Uh, talk about some of your barbecue recipes or different things that you can check out with the Wichita Barbecue Store. Really excited to chat with them coming up here in a little bit. Hour number two at the bottom of the hour to wrap up the program. Uh, Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. We always get our monthly interview from him and look forward to chatting with him here in a little bit. Something we haven't done here in a little bit on the program that it's time to jump right into. As back in the studio with us, the man himself, Sedgwick County Commissioner Jim Howell. Jim, it's good to talk to you, my friend. It's been a little bit. I am so glad you have me back again, Andy. Thanks for that. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's always good to chat with you. There is, now that we're almost summertime, getting close, Memorial Weekend right around the corner, we have gotten through the craziness of the first part of the year. We're about wrapped up with the state legislative session, but Sedgwick County... You guys are almost getting back on track. It seems like we're just about back to normal after all the COVID shenanigans. Actually, from my perspective, I'm not seeing hardly anything that even is a, a memory right now of, of COVID. We are we are back. We're back. That's good except news. for we're still spending lots of ARPA money from thank you, thank you, Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, that, well, there is true. I did hear a rumor though with uh, some new outbreaks of. Of course, the uh, not the smallpox, but the monkeypox now that's that coming out. I mean, that's, who knows? Maybe we'll see another summer of lockdowns, right? Well, I'm sure some people think that's probably the right thing to do. I, I can tell you right now, there's no appetite. <laughs> there's just no appetite. We, I, we are done. I, I can tell you that there's... It's not going to happen. No, I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I, this was, this was a, one of the hardest couple of years in all my years of being involved in political leadership and... Uh, Looking backwards, I think there's so many things we could have done differently and better. And yeah. again, I I, I will advocate. I will just say I, I do think I pulled us more towards the uh, personal responsibility side of the equation through this entire two year process. Sure. But having said that, I lost in most everything I tried to to, to uh, push for. And at the end of the day, uh, the county ended ended up doing quite a lot of things that I did not agree with. And uh, looking backwards, uh, we we really did not handle this pandemic. I think the way we should have handled it. So no. there are a lot of lessons learned. If we have to go do, if we do go through this again, it will be different. I'll just say that. Yeah. Now that we've learned, and now that the legislature's kind of put some protection in place, we've kind of tried to limit the ability of people just to be able to lock things down and shut it down. Uh, if we do, God forbid, have to go into another one, at least we have a little bit better understanding of how it's going to play out. So that is at least good news. You know, there is actually, as you can imagine, some opportunities to spend some money to grow the government just a little bit. We want to yeah. create some warehousing for some uh, PPE, for example. Uh, we have to uh, have more people with more planning documents. You know, in case we have a pandemic, what are we going to do? Those documents are going to be more uh, more prepared and more exercised. These are these are reasonable things we do we we do for emergency planning. We that's a good thing. Sure. But you know, we didn't we weren't really prepared before this pandemic, I don't think. And I think I think there's all kinds of ways to make that point, but at the end of the day, what the lessons learned here is we're going to do some things in the government to, to get ready for the next one, and that's going to cost money. And so <laughs> um 
that's discouraging in a, in a sense. Although I do, I do think it's right for us to get ready and be prepared and plan ahead. I don't really like the fact that we're growing government, but we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I do want to get into budgetary discussions here in just a little bit. But before we do that, I mean, how is the first year to, to part of 2022? Now that we do have summertime, things are starting to open up. I mean, are not just you guys with regulation and regulatory wise for COVID, but just the economy, people getting back out there wanting to go to festivities. Uh, we went out to the Cedric County Zoo a couple of weeks ago. Actually, I've been there twice already this summer, uh, which is great. So people getting back out there, starting to go see shows and performances again. Is it starting to feel normal outside of just being open? A- absolutely. Again, I would say that, uh, you know, we, we certainly encourage people to wear masks if they want to wear masks. That's something you can always do. Um, that's a, you know, a personal choice, but in terms of requirements for masks, I'm not seeing it anywhere, even in doctor's offices. One exception, uh, some nursing homes and hospitals are still uh, requiring that them for visitors. And that's a, that's probably the last thing I've seen that actually has that type of a rule. But for the most part, people are gathering in movie theaters. I'm looking forward to Top Gun coming out. You know, mm. the theaters are going to be full. I went to go see The Northman last week. Well, good. That was a great one. And that's where we're at. You know, if you look at the movie theater and it's packed, yeah. every seat is sold. Um, and, and look at, you know, we can go backwards to the Super Bowl. I mean, things were just completely packed. Yeah. And virtually not a single mask was in sight at that. <laughs> that was months ago now. Sure. So I think I think we're there. Um, the reality is we've learned a lot, but um, I, I think that uh, we're never gonna we're never going to um, uh, completely get over this. You know, one one thing that people will always say is, "Well, COVID's still out there and it's still a threat." Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that most people have contracted it. Most people have antibodies or have, have had the vaccine or had both or whatever. But uh, the the damage from COVID is is a uh, completely different than it was back in the beginning of 2020. And by the way, let's remind ourselves, everything the government did, everything the government did was to protect our resources, not from being, from becoming overwhelmed. It was about slow the spread and, and flatten the curve. Remember those terms? It wasn't about stopping the, the spread. That's not what they said. Hmm. And it wasn't about eradicating COVID. Uh, COVID's still out there. It's much more like the flu now. Right. It can still really kill people. It really can. But it's one of those things where you can get sick from all kinds of diseases that can kill you. The best thing you can do is be prepared, you know, be healthy, get good sleep, eat well, um, be vigilant and know that if someone's sick, sick, please stay home and stay away from other people. Personal responsibility. This is just like any other sickness now. I think that's where we're at now. So uh, do I think the COVID is uh, an issue? Yeah, it's an issue, but is it an issue that changes our, I, I think our lives have returned back to normal. I have declared victory. Yes, <laughs> and I'm not. And I'm not the only one. I mean, I think everybody that is in my circle at the county, they've all declared victory that this thing. Our health director, uh, our health director, briefed the county commission yesterday on a budget request, and I noticed that she sat right next to someone in the audience, and no one was wearing a mask, including mm. her. And so. There you go. I guess that's a good sign. That's right. That's a good sign. Very good. Well, I'm glad that we are starting to move past that and we can actually get back to normal, regardless of whatever comes up here uh, during the summertime. Now, you guys have been busy because this has been a conversation we've talked about for a while, really, for a couple of years here on the show, where you guys have talked about moving facilities uh, for the county commission. And because right now you guys are in the courthouse and it's kind of difficult and it's kind of crammed, needs some more space for you guys. And we've talked about buying a new building, building a new building, restructuring a new building. But sounds like it's actually starting to happen now. 
Well, we did something kind of really interesting. It's like um, if you do, if you decide you're not sure what you want to do, but you make the first step, hmm. and it's a, a step you can't undo, then I guess you get that ball rolling. And so we we actually did that. We have talked about this for probably close to 20 years, believe it or not, because the courthouse was never designed to be an administration building for the county. This was a, a way they used that extra space for a number of, you know, since it was built back in the 1950s. Sure. But the intent, intent would be they would move out the administration if the courts ever needed the space. Well, that kind of started becoming apparent about 20 years ago. Um, so we did an interesting thing about, uh, about it maybe most of a year ago. We decided to use some of the thank you Joe Biden money, ARPA funds, and we decided to go ahead and take on a lease. And we assigned a 36-month lease for us to move down to the Ruffin Building. That's the that's the building at the corner of Broadway and Main Street. Yeah, Broadway and Main. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Broadway and Douglas, excuse me. And we'll be on uh, two different floors, on the first floor and the sixth floor of that building. But that lease runs out. So now we actually have to decide, are we going to stick with the lease? I don't think we will because it's kind of expensive. And we're using, again, a temporary funding stream to do this. So now it really puts the pressure on us to actually find a permanent solution to this admin building issue. Um, we are in the process of moving right now. By the end of July, I think we'll be basically completely moved over to the new building Wow! at that point. So some people are beginning to move right now. Uh, every week, there's another department that moves over. We have about eight or nine departments that are moving out of the courthouse over to the Ruffin building. And so... We have uh, given ourselves a, a deadline, and we have to really solve this. Otherwise, it's going to get very expensive for the taxpayers. And so, you know, in terms of building a building or, or whatever, um, I'll just say once again, there's about a million, a million square feet of unused office space downtown. I'm kind of a fan of just buying something that's available. Sure. Because virtually everything the county does right now is administrative. We need offices. We need conference rooms. Yeah. We need – the only thing we need that's kind of different than that is the Board of County Commissioners Chambers where we meet and conduct our business as a, as a uh, board. But that's a pretty small part of what we do there altogether. And so there's price tags to build a brand new building could be as high as $50 million. Good or we can buy a building for as little as $3 million and everything in between. And so uh, obviously I'm an advocate of trying to save some money here. Uh, there are some folks in the, in the discussion that really like to see us build something. But they think this is a legacy issue that you're going to be thankful you know, 100 years from now that you made this choice. Well, my concern is I don't really want to to, uh, to put the, the burden of this on, on the current taxpayers. I think that we we could build, we could take, you know, we could find a temporary solution or a reasonable solution. And if it's not a 100-year solution, that's okay. Yeah. You know, I don't think we have to have a 100-year solution. So that's just my opinion. But we there's a lot of debate going on, and that makes it hard. You know, you have to have three votes in the county because we have five commissioners. And right now, three—you can't find three people who agree on virtually anything on this issue. So, <laughs> I guess we'll we'll find a way to solve this. We, but but by moving into this building gives us some pressure to make it make it so. Sure, I was going to say. I mean, it puts the fire under you guys, but we're going to have to make a decision relatively soon. It sounds right. like then, if your lease ends in what you said, July. Well, we are moving. Uh, we're moving now. We have a three-year lease with the Ruffin Building, so we have okay. until the end of 2025, I okay, guess. Okay, so you're moving is. into the Ruffin Building for July okay, and then making that happen. Okay, so you got a little bit of time, but, I mean, this is a – it. Is, I get the long-haul, long-term investment, but that's a lot of money for something like that as opposed to, like you said, buying something that's there, do a little renovation, make it work, and, you know, we're good. I mean, we're not looking for the Taj Mahal for the, for the county commission to run their operations, and uh, it's – 
That's an interesting conversation. That's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's happening pretty quickly. I mean, they're right. They are they are remodeling the Ruffin Building somewhat to make it more better fit for the county footprint for right now. So I hate spending that money right now, but it's not that much money, really. It's compared to the big scheme of things. Overall, the entire cost of us taking over that building, those two floors for this three years is about $3 million. Mm. And that's a lot of money. So you extrapolate that and say, is that a good fit, you know, for the long term? Or should we just stay there? I don't think that's a good fit. It's too much. I think that's too much money for the 80,000, approximately 80,000 square feet of office space we're going to consume um, that's a bit that's a bit steep for us to stay there. I think so. We need we do need to find a building. And by the way, I have looked at uh, four or five four or five buildings. I think there's plenty of options out there. We just need to figure out figure out which one fits us the best and make a make a make a move. Sure. And I think that the, you know I think there's solutions that could be less than ten million dollars several places. That's a good move. I think that's a good conversation to have. So I'm glad you guys are starting to uh, get a little bit more serious with this one as we uh, get closer to that deadline. Let's take a break here real quick. 20 minutes past the hour. Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell. We have lots to talk about on the county issues since it has been a while and had him in studio. we got to talk about some budgetary things. Summertime, along with uh, what else is going on in the county. If you have any questions, comments, we'd love to hear from you at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. It's the Big Talker. KQAM. It's Candace Talk. Stay right here. minutes past the hour welcome back into kansas talk here on the big talker kqam all presented by phil's coins 9344 west central avenue buying selling and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs he's still like the only guy in the whole not just the city or the county or the state but the whole mid-america region that actually has gold and silver on hand in stock ready for you to walk out with if uh that's what you go choose to do. 9344 West Central Avenue. They're opening up in about, I don't know, five minutes from now until 2.30 this afternoon. Also check them out online at philscoins.com. We appreciate them partnering with us here on KQAM and here on Candace Talk as well. We'll have Phil Martinez in in the next week or so as well to get another update on the gold and silver market. Right now, Toja County Commissioner Jim Howell rocking it in studio. As uh, Now, real quickly, on as we kind of wrap up the COVID conversation, some of that stuff, businesses. Have you guys been tracking any of the businesses, how they're recovering, how they're opening back up, and how they're doing right now in the area? Well, Ish. I wish I could say more. You know, we had what we had two chunks of money. We had what's called CARES funds, mm-hmm. which we did share with nonprofits, businesses, schools, hospitals, and even cities. Back, we had two two distributions of the federal government back then, and we we basically uh, handed out about two thirds of those funds. And some of the businesses in this community applied for those funds. They got some of those funds. They also applied for funds from the state, and they did that. Um, and, and, again, I think those were fairly good programs to help out uh, in a temporary way during the m- middle of the COVID pand- pandemic. Most, what's happened most recently is the, again, I keep calling them the Biden bucks, but the ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act funds, 
we received about $102 million to the county. Uh, the city of Wichita received just about $80 million. Yeah. I believe Derby's received like 3.7 and Mulvane's received just a little bit less than a million, for example. The state received like $1.6 billion. Yeah, you, and you so, expand that all around the country. That's why we have 8.5% inflation right that's now. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> well, you think 8.5, I think it's a lot higher than that. But yeah. let's just say that, uh, you know, these businesses, um, you know, some some of these government organizations have enough money they can actually make some some grants for nonprofits and businesses and other things. And that is legal. It is legal to do that. Yeah. We actually cast net in Sedgwick County and said, what are the needs? We don't know what the needs are. Sure. And I hate to say it, it was kind of maybe a, a dumb way to do this, but looking backwards, I wish we'd have done it differently. It cast a net both internally and externally and said, what are the, what are the needs? We have $102 million we'd like to hand out. Say, what do we need? Well, <laughs> we had more than that just on the internal needs. And we, we were surprised by it. We did not know that we had things going on inside the county that would actually be uh, qualified to receive. We had like, a, I don't know, we had like $106 million of qualified expenditures within the county for that against, to go against $102 million. We didn't have anything left over. Mm. But here's what happened. Those businesses said, hey, we, we'd like to apply for some money. We distracted them. We, took, we cost them money and time uh, to apply for these grants, and there's nothing left. And they were pretty disappointed. Sure. And I, I, I feel badly for them. I think we led them down the wrong path here. But do I think that the money being consumed inside Sedgwick County is important? I, I do, because these are very important things. We're rest, we are restoring Sedgwick County government. If we didn't do that, then those very same things end up being property tax dollars. Sure. So, I, I, or should say, should say property tax dollar so, solutions. I don't want to do that. Right. So, in a sense, we're protecting people by not taxing them more. Sure. That is very true. Let's take a break here. We've got a bottom of the hour break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about some budgetary issues, where yeah. some of the money is going, where that conversation is right now, and uh, how much of that money that we have spent from, like you mentioned, the Biden bucks. I kind of like that. Plus, we have a caller on the line, so hang on the line. We'll get to you as soon as we come back from the bottom of the hour as well. Lots more to get to. County issues. Sedgwick County. Right here with Sedgwick County Commissioner Jim Hall. We'll do that when we come back right around the corner on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM+. Plus, when we come back in hour number two, we're going to be talking getting set for Memorial Weekend with the Wichita Barbecue Store. We have Candace Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Lots of things to converse here on the show. It's Candace Talk. Stay here. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into Kansas Talk. Moving along through here, 9.35 is the time here on Saturday morning. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a dreary Saturday morning. Things starting to warm up a little bit. What a week it's been, man. What a week. Jim, you'll appreciate this. So Thursday, I'm driving home from work. I get a flat tire oh, on I the side too. of the road. Same day. Same day, really. <laughs> it was something in the air then. I, I don't know, the uh, full moons or something. Who knows? Get a flat tire. Pull off on the side of the road. You know, a little grumpy, mumbling. I go to change it out. I got a spare in the back. You know, got my donut tire. My donut tire's flat, of course. So driving the truck now, which is insanely expensive on gas, it takes $100 now to fill up that tank of gas in the truck. 
uh, trying to get my tire, which I should have, I guess, on Monday after I got it ordered. But what a week. What a week. You just think you're like, ah, it's nothing you can do about it. You know, everybody's fine. Everybody's safe. But just frustrating and annoying. And I hate car problems. Drive me nuts. I'll tell you what. We all have these problems. I had a yep. dead battery. I had to buy a new battery. I had a flat tire. I had to buy new tires. Uh, my daughter's and there's a brakes, shortage on tires right now. And they're expensive. Yeah, my daughter's brakes locked up. I had to fix that. Oh, just, just, yeah. And this has been one of those weeks where, yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's in the uh, apparently in the weather or something. But, it's the uh, lunar blood moon. That's okay. You know what? We're yeah. all human. We have these. All, these are common experiences. They are. And, you know, and, praise God that you are, you're okay and yeah. you have a solution that's coming. To exactly. You. you have a solution. I, I've done really well with the whole, you know, being grateful of, you know what, everybody's safe, everybody's fine. First world problem, you know, a, you know, a flat tire. It's annoying. It's a little expensive to get it replaced. But you know what? It's not the end of the world. Everything's no. going to be fine. And I, and I wasn't mad. I was just, it's, I didn't get home that night till like 1130 at night. And I was just like, oh, man, come on. Come on, dude. Yeah, but hey, you know what? The week's over. Uh, we're getting into Memorial Weekend, which I'm assuming uh, with some of the parks around here, some of the parks or the uh, the lakes or the re- reservoirs or the stuff around here, I'm assuming people are already locking in their slots to go camping that weekend. Well, what I'm seeing right now is everything that's outdoors, especially, is bigger attendance than we've ever seen before. Yeah. People are just wanting to get out. Of course, the weather right now is pretty good, and I think the forecast is usually pretty, I mean, I'd say Memorial Day weekend almost always has bad or interesting weather. But right now, as far as I can tell, I think things are looking pretty good here. So sure, uh, I'm expecting we'll see that um, every spot will be filled very early <laughs> and everyone's excited to get out. It will be crowded at the lakes. Yeah, I really do think so. As well, real quickly, when we talk about festivities and people getting back together, what was it, a month ago? A couple weeks ago, we had the Renaissance Festival at the Cedric County Park. Park, Um, Do you know the turnout for that? Was it a good turnout? I I don't know, but uh, I have been out there to to kind of observe that in the past. It's always been very well attended. I have no doubt this year it's going to be, I'm sure it was high. I I have not heard. Yeah. But by the way, if you don't know, that's one of the uh, parks that has well over a million visitors a year to that park. To that park. Yeah, it's it's a... very well attended. Just with park. different events, yeah. or just people showing up for it for all kinds of stuff. I really? mean, just it's one of the places people have outdoor events. It's just a constant, constant sure. flow of people in and out of that park. I mean, it's really a very well used by the by Central County and beyond. So. Interesting. Yeah, I love. I was sad I had to miss the Renaissance Festival for that one, but they do one in the fall. I'll be there for the fall, and uh, we'll get our. Uh, fun Renaissance stuff going on. We got a phone call on the line at three one six seven two one eight two five five. Let's go to it. Good morning. Who's this? Oh, guess they hung up. Give us a call back. We want to hear from you. Uh, held on the line a little too long. So when you call back, uh, we'll definitely take that one. Let's talk about some budgetary issues with the county. Always a big conversation that you and I always have. But obviously, with the hundred plus million dollars that you got from the Biden administration with the COVID nineteen relief and with trying to do the move, trying to not expand the size of county government, but trying to actually help out with businesses and stuff. I know a lot of businesses needed it, too. Uh, We have, which I I have to say, I am so excited that venues are back open. We were talking about music before the before coming back on here with I got to go see Slipknot, which was amazing. Uh, I have two bands that I'm already bought tickets for, although one canceled. Um, for the band's reason, not for the venue's reason, but the Cotillion, the Wave, you know, all these other places around here in this area, they're back up and at it. And I know they were the ones that really got hit the hardest during COVID or one of the v- industries that got hit the hardest overall. Uh, is some of the money going towards relief for that stuff? Where is the money going right now? I would tell you there are, there's, what, there's what's called spark funds from the state right now that are, that are still being uh, considered for businesses. The county basically is past the point where we can provide funds from the county um, 
So right now, I would just say it's kind of winding down. The spark funds that the state has right now is kind of, as far as I can tell, is kind of the last mm-hmm. opportunity for businesses. And if they're if they're engaging in that, they might get some funds potentially from that. But um, it has been very hard on businesses. I would tell you that the the, the infusion of cash from uh, from our president has, has has protected our Indian balance sure. through 2020 and 2021 and through 2022. We're actually doing okay right now in terms of our, our, our current status is actually reasonably good. But we do know that this money is earmarked right now for specific things, and it doesn't really offset our obligation for things like our courts. Uh, we, we are actually, I should say, we are, we are enhancing some court activities, trying to get caught back up because we have a huge backlog. So we are using ARPA funds for that. Sure. But in terms of our basic, our baseline, if you will, uh, you know, costs to run county government, um, it's kind of going, it's kind of falling back to its normal uh, source of revenue at this mm. point. Here's the problem: um, we are having trouble keeping up with the private sector on wages, and we are losing staff very quickly. Yeah, and we have, uh, for example, just our, our Comcare, uh, our Comcare agency alone, there are 197 people down right now. 197 open positions. Wow. Um, our jail deputies right now, we're down nearly 100 jail Still. deputies. Still? Yes. Even though they that was actually, an issue a year ago we've talked about with some of the shortage there. It's almost always down, you know, 50 people. But now we're basically down to 100. And we have actually enhanced their salary. So if all you have is a high school education, uh, you have graduated from high school, we train you and pay you pay you as an 18-year-old to be trained as a jail uh, detention deputy. And you start out just right at $20 an hour. Not bad for huh. an 18-year-old. Yeah. And anybody can do this. But we have 100 open positions. Can't get anybody to apply for the jobs. And so. I know my weekend job now. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not a bad side gig, so to speak. But uh, anyway. Can you do every, that as a side every, gig? I don't know. You could do you that could as do a side that. gig. Interesting. Uh, well, you know, and I'll just say we have about 45 different agencies across the county. Every single one of them is down, Sure, you know, significantly on staff. So we're going to have to figure out what to do. I'll tell you, the, the I think there's an assumption out there that if we simply just pay them more money, we can recruit and retain and get back to normal services. It requires a lot more money. I have a different philosophy. These people don't exist. Hmm. And it doesn't matter how much money you have because it's like an auction. Uh, I, I'll give you a dollar more and then I'll jump over that to that job. And somebody else says, I gave you $2 more. They'll jump back over to that job. If you really want to fill all the jobs that are out there, there's not enough people to fill all the jobs. Yeah. What, 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 why is that? I think two things happened. People used to work uh, part-time jobs on the side. They have a full-time job and a part-time job. They've yep. stopped doing that because they're making enough money with one job because wages have gone up. Sure. And a lot of people had uh, opportunities to retire during COVID, and they just did. And so people exited the workforce. And so we have a shortage of people and too many jobs. And so no matter how much money you have, these are not solvable problems. Um, I would tell you what I think is going to end up happening is I think we're going to – I think, there's my theory, we're going to maintain the cost of government – Hopefully, statically, we're not going to increase the cost, but at that same cost, you're going to see less services provided to the people we serve. So that means when you go to the tag office, you have to stand in line longer. Mm-hmm. When you go to the, you get to go to vote, you need to stand in line longer. Um, if you need to go and make an appeal at the appraiser's office, you stand in line longer. If you are waiting for an inspector at your home construction project. You might have to wait a whole other day or two to get someone to out, come out and inspect that job. Sure. And on it goes. Every single thing in in government, it's a service. I hate to say this, but if you call nine one one, might be put on hold. Yeah, uh, you might not huh. get an ambulance as quickly as you used to because we don't have enough paramedics. We can't afford 
to pay them unlimited salary. I want to pay them very well. Sure. But even if you had unlimited salaries, you don't, you can't, you can't hire them because they don't exist. That's a really scary thought. You, you don't think about it from that end, which the, we talk about the great resignation in society right yeah. now. With so many people leaving, so many people either going, working from home, being the contract worker, moving up to a better position, like you mentioned, just for a couple of dollars an hour more. That is interesting that we don't think about the other side of it, of how it's affecting our responsive services. You call 911 because someone broke into your house and you're hiding in the tub and they're like, hold, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, that's is, a scary thought. It's a reality. And that's yeah. where we are right now because even if you had, you could pay them, imagine, crazy money for salary. You There's not someone to hire that's willing to do that job. Yeah. They're busy working someplace else and they're happy. And they're not looking for a job. And so you, know, you see a pothole or a missing street sign or a malfunctioning intersection, a traffic signal. Or you have uh, ice on the road. You want to go out and do some ice, you know, ice treatment. Sure. These things, the services to provide the, the protections we normally provide, they're not there. Autopsies will take longer. Uh, every, it's unbelievable. The, the amount of things that are impacted by less people, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. But the cost of government's not going to go down. Right. We have to take the same amount of money, divide it up with less people to retain what we, to retain the folks we do have. But we don't, we just can't inflate the government uh, revenue enough to actually fill these positions. We have hundreds, I, I'd say we have 600, 700 positions open across the county uh, organization right now. It's, it is unprecedented right now. Which and, when we do get them hired, that's going to put a major burden back onto the budget and it's, it's going to be kind of a full circle thing. Uh, what needs to happen, which is the most difficult job that you guys have, and especially on political aisles when you guys can't agree on a whole lot right now, unfortunately, is that you need to find ways to consolidate or even rid the county of unnecessary programs and agencies that aren't efficient in doing things for the county and then being able to reinvest them in places where we do actually need them like 911 responders or like certain you know certain other things that actually help those um that's the hard part though because that's where the politics come in where we're like hey we need this new department or new agency we need increased spending over here absolutely we're talking about how you know we're going to create a quality assurance position well if you even create that position you have no one you could put in there because you can't hire somebody they don't exist yeah we want to we want to uh add another inspector okay well, it sounds great but the, who are you going to hire they don't exist and on it goes on a, on the flip, <clears throat> flip side of this i think we can also you we mentioned consolidation consolidation if it provides better services expanded you know better services for less cost more efficiency right that sounds fantastic. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Right. Consolidation may not deliver those goals. Sure. So it's a, it's a great idea, but we have to be very careful whether we you gotta do it smartly. truly right, truly as a cost savings to the to the folks. I, I, there's other things we can do though. We're talking I'm talking about talking about building more EMS posts and building them out of brick and mortar versus maybe a a uh, an engineered building for example. Hmm. The cost is is more than double for brick and mortar building. Sure. We have to change our mindset on how we how we create government. Become less less expensive. Yeah. And on it goes. I think there's things we can do. <clears throat> our fire department, our fire district. I love these folks. Great great firefighters. We pump lots and lots of money into new equipment and brand new buildings and I think that if they really want to put the money into salary, they need to make that the priority even above buildings and equipment. I mean, they love the nice shiny brand new fire trucks. Who sure. doesn't like that? Right. But if you want to get the money into the into the salaries, you've got to be very careful on, on how much money you spend outside that. Because, and you got to talk to the firefighters. They'll, say, they'll just say, "Well, just, just raise the mill levy." Well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I mean, you could, but but there's reasons why we can't do that. I mean, right. honestly, raising the mill levy is, is is denial that we're growing government faster than the than the than the economy itself. We just can't do that. In fact, I would tell you, 
when formula costs a hundred dollars a can mm. uh gasoline is four dollars and by the way you think four dollars is bad i hate to say this i can see it a lot higher than that i'm i'm thinking six eight dollars a gallon it's not unreasonable. Washington State it, already programmed their gas pumps to be $10 a gallon. I mean, this, this is what's coming. So yeah. if we simply just bury our head in the sand and say, we're just going to continue raising taxes to keep up with this, that's denial. We can't do that. Yep. People are struggling. I, My wife and I were looking for a rental the other day. And you know there's a story there. I would say, well, like, well, what do you need? I need a one and a half bathrooms. I'd like to have, two, you know, we have multiple, multiple people in our house. Sure. One and a half bathrooms would be really a, kind of a need, I think. We started looking. You can't find a single rental with one and a half bathrooms no. for less than $1,500 a month. Yeah. I can't. There's an, in, in the area that I have to live in, my district, it does not, did not exist. So how are people surviving? They're paying $1,500 or more per month for a small family. And, and we're talking about these are things that everyone's dealing with right now. So for us to raise taxes is absolutely off the table. We can't do that this year. No way. Yeah, it's unreasonable. I, I, the only response I have to that is, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> I mean, that's the only response well, that I have for something like that. I mean, that's uh, that's where we're at right now, and that's why many experts are looking at a recession, and that's why we need to plan smartly. There's going to be an, a real estate bust at some point, and it's going to be unfortunate, but you're right. And w- when it comes to the services you guys provide, we need to invest in that. We need to invest in it smartly, and we need to make sure, like you said, all the money that you guys receive from the federal government plus what you guys normally have needs to be done very efficiently because it's a one-time deal to do this right. And that's what, by the way, with all that money that went out nationwide, that's what's causing the inflation. So let's try to make the best of it. Trillions of dollars being pumped into this economy. Yeah, You know, the federal government, they think they're helping. They're, they're playing with interest rates and they're pumping trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars above and beyond we've ever seen before. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely upsets the entire economy. And you're seeing the effects of that. You're seeing price of energy just skyrocket, the price of Commodities skyrocket. Yep. Uh, everything's costing more. Two by fours are ten dollars a two by four now, practically. Yeah. And all it goes, this is a net this is a result of basically government trying to solve a problem. They should have just stayed out of it entirely. <laughs> well, that seems to be the case on a lot of issues, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Gotta wrap it up here, my friend, Subject County Commissioner Jim Howell. Uh, in about twenty seconds or so, what are you guys working on currently and what could we expect uh, from the county over the next uh, month? Well, elections is hot. And I hate to say that, but that's that's number one thing right now. Many of us are thinking about uh, who's going to be at the bench mm-hmm. next January. We've got to get that worked out. So. Sure. Well, we're going to have you back on uh, as we get closer to election season. We start talking to the candidates, and we'll uh, we'll go down that road. Thank you for that opportunity. Always a good time, Jim Howell. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Good stuff. Keep you up too. the fight. Good stuff. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get our update from the AARP wrapping up this hour. Hour number two, Wichita Barbecue Store. We'll chat with them on what's going on, getting ready for Memorial Weekend, the unofficial kickoff to summertime. Also, bottom of the next hour, Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. So that and a heck of a lot more. Plus, your phone calls. Want to get some calls in from you as well on all the stuff that's going on in the area. It's Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online, aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. And this week, Glenda's back with us here. Glenda, how are you today? I am doing well, Chris, Andy, and how are you doing? We are living the dream. It's always good to 
chat with you. We talk a lot about the Fraud Watch Network and the latest scams and the latest frauds that are going on and, you know, trying to get your personal information or trying to get your credit cards. But there's one issue that's always been there and it breaks my heart and angers me every time I hear about it. But with the desperate need for caregivers and caregivers needing to help out, you know, certain communities, then we hear about the caregiver taking advantage of an individual that they're taking care of and stealing their money or, you know, signing papers over to them or doing something. It breaks my heart, but it's something that hasn't seemed to go away, has it? No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. And as a caregiver um, and knowing that that can happen, you know, you really want to be aware of it and, and just share that they are out there and, and really share with everyone to be on the lookout for it. You know, especially with this month being uh, May is Older American Month, we really want to um, let everyone know that we're thinking about our older Americans and especially uh, Kansans specifically and those who are under the care of caregivers. So we want to be sure that they're getting the very best care uh, in all aspects that they possibly can. But we know that there's because there's nothing more important than knowing that your loved one is really being cared for and cared for properly. But as you said, um, Andy, there are those who are provided who are taking on that task, but they're also taking advantage uh, of our loved ones or your loved ones at that time um, as an opportunity to line their own pockets. And so that's what we have to be aware of. And there's actually three things that uh, we can do to uh, safeguard our family members or our you know, loved ones against that financial exploitation. Sure. Talk about those three steps. I mean, and what could be we be aware of and what could we look out for? Absolutely. Well, number one, if you uh, will regularly check in with both the caregiver and the care recipient, and we know that in some situations that changes uh, depending upon the care or the care plan, but whomever it is, just be very close uh, in contact with them to ensure the quality of care for number one. And then number two, use technology whenever you can uh, to be present when you can't be there physically. That's not possible in all situations, but where it is, uh, when it is, really try and do that as much as possible. Uh, and thirdly, keep an inventory of valuables. You know, really and always be aware of their possessions and, uh, you know, keep a, uh, an inventory and, and check on that. And then also have a system for monitoring, monitoring their financial transactions and uh, things that go on in their financial um, world of really being aware of any changes that you should be really looking into. So those things are some things that you can really look out for. But if you suspect uh, caregiver fraud or theft, then you should contact the police. You know, what should you do? You should, you should contact the police and your local adult protective services agencies, uh, or they can even contact the United States Department of Justice Elder Fraud Hotline, and that number is 833-372-8311. Some definitely some great tips on ways to try and protect yourself a little bit. So now talk about what types of, of fraud that goes on with this with some of the caregivers. Is it just cash? Is it just valuables? Have you heard about cases here in the state of, you know, maybe signing over a, a trust or signing over something like that? I mean, it's it really the opportunities are endless for them, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes, it is. And those things really do ha are happening and they are happening here. And yes, we have heard of cases um, where that's happened. And we absolutely, again, um, suggest that they call these numbers or even reach out to the secretary um, the state attorney general's office to report those because yes, we are hearing or have heard of those kinds of scams taking, uh, being taken advantage of also. 
here in here, just in Kansas. Mm, that is really but, you sad. know, if you you can, it's sad. But so what we all try to do because we are all we all can be victims of some t- of some type of fraud at any at any time. But if we really want to be a fraud fighter, so if you hear those things or you see a scam or you spot a scam, if you spot it, you can stop it. And so if the people will be, if we will uh, reach out to our fraud network, uh, fraud watch network. And we can do that at uh, aarp.org uh, slash fraud watch network, or really just always call our fraud uh, watch helpline, and that is the one eight seven seven nine zero eight three three six zero. Those are the numbers that will really. We have people, volunteers, and workers that are staffed um, all the time to help with any type of fraud or scam that's going on. Good. Yeah, definitely some great information there. We got just about a minute left here, Glenda, but talk about what else you guys are working on with the AARP. Well, we have, uh, again, we always have our um, Friday concerts, and there will be one coming up on next Friday um, on AARP uh, Facebook, AARP Kansas Facebook. And then there's always the uh, movies for grownups that we can always go out and and to AARP.org slash movie for grownups and find out what the latest movie is coming up through the week or even on the weekends for just pure uh, pure enjoyment. I love it. Always great stuff. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Kansas on their website, plus their social media, as you mentioned, with their concerts and great stuff that you guys have with videos going on, keeping people entertained and informed all the time as well. Glenda, we appreciate it very much. Let's do it again next week. Thank you. There it is, AARP. We appreciate them very much. Wrapping up hour number one, right around the corner, hour two of Candace Talk, Wichita Barbecue Store. We'll talk with them. It's Memorial Weekend, getting set next weekend. We'll talk about that. Plus, we have Candace Attorney General Derek Schmidt at the bottom of the hour, plus your phone calls. All that coming up on Candace Talk on KQAM. Stay here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on The Big Talker. KQAM. There we are. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning. Hour number two is officially here. Thanks again to Jim Howell, Central County Commissioner, coming on the program in hour number one. It's been a little bit since we've chatted with him on the air, and we always appreciate him and uh, love the fight that he has at the county level each and every day. So keep up the fight, my friend, and we appreciate you very, very much. Welcome in 316 721 316 721 talk if you want to join into the program i'd love to hear from you wichita barbecue store not quite here yet we'll uh, chat with them in a little bit or we'll get them on next weekend getting ready for memorial weekend can you believe it next weekend's already memorial week bottom of this hour we do have kansas attorney general Derek schmidt we'll get our weekly update or monthly update from him on legal issues going on in the state of kansas there's a lot to talk about there is there's still still Ongoing litigation and legal battles regarding COVID-19 issues and nurses and doctors with some of the vaccine mandates and mask mandates and all this other garbage that is still ongoing here in the area. So it's sad. It's unfortunate. We're battling it here, not just in Cedric County in the state of Kansas, but also nationwide as well, because the battle apparently never ends. So We'll get to that here in a little bit, but I do want to hear from you. It is uh, towards the end of the year. When is the official ending of school for all of the school district i mean last week or this last week two days ago little voice of reason all wrapped up with school for the year ended second grade i know very sad it's very hard to 
you know, believe that uh, school's already done and she's already over the second grade and moving into third. It goes by way too fast. As a proud papa, it is very sad that she's growing up that fast. I'd like it to slow down and actually enjoy a little bit of it at times, but she is officially done. And I know that other school districts are in the area are planning on wrapping up here in the next week or so as well, which means that it's officially here and kind of that smack in the face of, oh, wow, summertime's actually here. I do have a question for you, though, regarding COVID-19, regarding the schools and the battle for mask mandates and the vaccines and the other crap that goes on. uh, There is another issue that's kind of bothered me, and I mentioned it on my program a couple of days ago for the national broadcast during the week, where regarding the recognition of kids in the classroom and their attendance for the year. If you remember all the way back when, when I was a kid, and I went to school. I never got it because I would always miss, I don't know, three to four days a year. But the perfect attendance recognition and the award for having a perfect attendance. Is that something that we need to bring back? Because this year, Little Voice of Reason did not miss a single day of school the entire school year. We were very good at that. Now, did she have a couple of times where she didn't feel the best year? And what happened? Mrs. Voice of Reason, being the holistic medicine healer that she is with her herbs and plants and, and holistic remedies, we would give her tea, we would give her some medicine, we would get her to bed, and voila, she'd feel great the next day, and she wouldn't have to miss a day of school. We were very adamant about that, not because we wanted to send a sick kid to school and get everybody else sick, but because we were able to treat the issues before she had to be laid up for days on end. Does that mean, uh, to, so what happened, I guess I should start at the beginning here. She went, she had a great time. She had her little ceremony for the end of second grade, which congratulations, all great. She ended up winning what they called the unicorn award, which was totally ironic because little Isla May, my, my little voice reason, she loves unicorns is like her favorite thing in the world, but she received the unicorn award for some of the, uh, Biggest gains, I guess, in different topics between writing and math and so on and so forth. So congrats. Thank you for the applause. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, No, she did great. We're very proud of her. But she also did not receive any recognition in any way, shape, or form for the perfect attendance. Now, we're not looking for necessarily awards of like, hey, we did this. We should expect something here. But... When asked about it to the principal of the elementary school, and that is also, by the way, the superintendent of the district... They made the very snarky comment to the wife that we don't do the perfect attendance anymore because we don't want parents sending kids to school with COVID-19. Therefore, the perfect attendance doesn't matter. Essentially saying that just by showing up or not showing up, you still get recognition for just somewhat participating the perfect commune scenario there. I don't even want to go today. I don't feel well. And then you still don't, uh, you know, someone who did put in the work to show up every single day doesn't get any recognition for that or a pat on the back or anything saying, hey, thank you for showing up every day for the entire school year. Thank you for actually being one of the numbers that we count when it comes to the population size of our school district that ends up getting school funding. So my question to you, and I'd love to hear from you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, is it old Totally like three, four, five years ago to count perfect attendance because now the times have changed. COVID-19's there. Or should we still be acknowledging someone who still tries to make it to school every single day for the entire school year? Is it important to the kids? Is it important to the school district? Is it important to us as the parents? Because some say, nah, who cares? Doesn't really matter. 
don't need a perfect attendance. There's the thing called COVID. Now, I think that falls into a lot of the quote-unquote misinformation, which, thanks again, Disinformation Governance Board, you did absolutely nothing for us, so appreciate that. Thank you. But uh, does that fall into the category of disinformation when kids really don't get affected by COVID? No, they don't need to wear a mask. So if you're masking up five and six-year-olds, you're stupid. And yes, I did say that. I mean, if you want to do it for your kid, all the power to you. Just remember, you're making them breathe through a mask all day unnecessarily. So that's on you as the parent or the guardian or the teacher in some way, shape, or form. No, five-year-olds don't need the COVID-19 vaccine. God forbid. There has been one, and I repeat, one child at nine years old or younger in the state of Kansas that have died, according to the Kansas Department of Health and Environment's data. Now, granted, I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe it's changed, but I'm assuming there was only one child under the age of nine that has passed away where they categorized it as COVID-19, and we don't know even know whether it was COVID-19 because from what I heard, there were multiple different uh, issues there and uh, COVID-19 was just on the list of multiple other things as well so why are we being so lenient with the kids on not showing up to class because of a potential fear of COVID-19 and why are we not recognizing the fact that we can do something about it to make sure kids show up and are healthy when they actually go to school because we took the initiative as the remedy to hey I'm going to make sure my kid goes to school every day now, if she's sick, obviously we would keep her home, but she didn't need to. She started to get a little sniffle. She started to feel a little sick. Boom, we gave her the medicine. We made her drink some tea, and she's good. Back to school, away she goes, and she was all happy. Never had an issue. We went out of the way, took the step above and beyond, so to speak. And I don't want us necessarily to get the pat on the back, but parents in general that are diligent to make sure their kids show up to school, does the participation of, you know, the uh, the the uh, perfect attendance matter anymore or does it not? Because to me, if it doesn't, then essentially they're all getting the participation trophy, whether they actually participated full on or not. Like, oh, hey, thanks. Then what they do is they're like, all right, we're going to send everybody a letter and send everybody a note and say, hey, you're going to show up this one day. We're going to count the population of the school this one particular day. So make sure we show up that day. Really? Doesn't make any sense to me. And that's how you're going to get your funding from the state or from the federal government based on that one day's population. If that's the case, that's the day I think we have the sniffles. And that's the day that I think that we're just going to stay home and have a little staycation. Because if it's not getting acknowledged when we bust our butt the rest of the year, why does it matter that one day for you? Doesn't make any sense to me. Or are we completely off base on this and you don't want that anymore because circumstances happen and you don't want the kids to miss out on an award. So essentially everybody's getting the participation trophy by not acknowledging people who actually showed up every day of the year. Interesting conversation. 316-721-8255. Let's go to the phone to your line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Sup, dog? Mr. Sean, dog how are you, sir? sir? Yeah, sticking it to the man any way I can, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Where, did you ever get a partic- or get the uh, the perfect attendance award at school? I don't remember such a thing when I was in elementary school. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they didn't. Even, they were just like, you better show up or else we're going to, like, you know, smack you across the head or something. Well, you know, I mean, um, let me see. Uh, I started kindergarten in 69 or 70, and so, you know, I was out of uh, – I was in high school by 80 or 81, and uh, all I had was uh, – in high school was – you had honorable mention and honor roll, but uh, 
Now, I don't remember <clears throat> the perfect attendance thing, but I know this much. <clears throat> Most kids always get sick from something when they're in school. I mean, for crying out loud, there's more than there's more than uh, one type of flu out there. There's a there's a, a more than one strain of the uh, Spanish flu. That's why that's why flu shots are never never a hundred percent effective. Sure. And then you get got the common cold, but uh, at least kids today don't. Uh, back in the early seventies, I can't remember what grade I was in, but it would have been. Um, gee whiz, I think uh, somewhere between. 71 and 73 uh first i got the uh chicken pox that really sucked yeah and then um, got the mumps that sucked even more <laughs> but uh uh that i don't they didn't have any vaccines for those uh diseases back then like they do today so that is strange we yep. have a chicken pox vaccine i mean i get it for like the shingles older because you don't want to get the shingles but i remember when the chicken pox went around it was still at that time uh, where parents were like, oh, your kid's got chicken pox. Can my kids stay over because they need to get it too? Oh, wow. Well, I've heard of that, but that doesn't. Oh, that happened. You know. that was, that's how I got it. We ended up staying over with a friend who had it. I got it the next week, and then I was home for about a week from school from the chicken pox, and uh, we made sure that we got it because then you could, like, you know, back in the crazy wild old days when you wanted to expose yourself to something to build up a natural immunity to it so that way you wouldn't get it again because now your body knew how to fight it off. It's a wild, crazy, strange, you know, uh, it's a, a type of concept today that apparently some individuals don't quite understand, but that's what we did all the way back when, back in my day. And uh, <laughs> it's sad that we don't live by that philosophy any longer. Well, it's better to not catch something in the first place. That's my philosophy. <laughs> well, that is that's true. That is true. But if it's something that floats around in the air and it's going to be there anyways, then we need to. I mean, it's I, I've used this reference before. If you stretch out your arms and you make a bubble around you based on the radius of your arms all around you, there are more viruses and bacterial things floating around in the air right now as you speak, breathing in and breathing out, than there are the number of stars in, in the sky right now. That's how many that you're exposed to every second. And then when this little virus comes along, then they're like, oh, my gosh, we could be exposed to it. You're already exposed to it. It's already in the air. It's already around you. Your body's already trying to figure out how to suppress it and how to fight it and how to build up an immunity to it. That's why we live in a crazy, wild biological world, because our body's always exposed to stuff. When we started relying on these ridiculous vaccines for minor, I'm not talking about the, the very, very rare things that kill half the population if you're exposed, but the stuff that's very, you know, very easily accessible, why we started getting these vaccines for minor things blows my mind because we're telling our system how not to function naturally when that's all it's known for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, well, only certain people, I think, should get, you know, certain vaccines, if they've got, you know, if they're at risk for, you know, like compromised immune systems. But, uh, sure. yeah, I know all about germs and bacteria. In fact, back in the 90s, I saw something on TV once, and um, they showed uh, just how many germs you can find on a kitchen countertop. And they used some type of, uh, I forget what. Like the black light of kind of thing, yeah. I was like, yeah, man, you know. <laughs> I well, went out, I went to clean my kitchen countertop off with some 
you know, with some uh, disinfectant. So here's the funny that. thing. I I know a lot of people who are very, like, germaphobic, and they have bottles and bottles of Clorox or bleach in their house, and they try and scrub everything with it because it kills so much of that stuff because they're paranoid of turning on the black uh, black light and seeing all this crazy stuff and the stains and the and the things smeared all over the place. Uh, but, again, here's the thing. You need. We need to be exposed to it. My daughter, I want her to go out into the yard. I want her to eat a piece of dirt. I want her to get filthy and get exposed to this crazy stuff. You ever see War of the Worlds where the aliens come down, they invade everything, they attack everybody, they open up the spaceship, the alien walks out, and it falls down dead because they were never exposed to the, th- the bacterial and viral things that were in the air, and their immune system had no clue how to handle it. That's why we're able to function in the society that we do. Yeah, well, that's the way... Uh... That's the way God designed our immune systems, so that uh, you know we could fight off most uh, diseases. Now, some things there's no uh, no vaccine against, and you don't want to catch them because you sure. know they're uh, like the Ebola virus. But uh, sure. Oh, and- there's plenty. You're right. There are plenty where I'm not saying vaccines are completely bad. I don't want polio. Okay, I don't want some of. You know, some of those really horrendous things that uh, there are in society that that broke out that we can protect ourselves from. So don't get me wrong, listeners. Oh, my gosh, she's so anti-vaccine. No, I'm not anti-vaccine. What I am saying is don't live in a bubble. Don't be the crazy helicopter parent. Don't try and, like, Clorox everything and wipe your hands with hand sanitizer every five minutes to try and keep germs away because there's germs around you all the time. You need to be exposed to them. That is a healthy thing. It's okay. Well, I think what's better for kids anyway is... Um... <clears throat> you know, I really don't care about this perfect attendance thing. It's whatever, I guess, you know, some school wants to do. But I think what's really good is that uh, if your parent has an incentive to help, you know, your kid go out and earn some good grades, you know, uh, when they bring home the report card, you know, compliment them, take them out to, uh, uh, you know, reward them for their effort. You know, take them out to dinner or something, ice cream, uh you know, pay them a certain amount of money for each grade. Like they don't get anything for an F or a D, but uh, you know, you give them a dollar for a C, and uh, sure, you know, you just the more the higher the grade, the more money. Especially uh, today with inflation, you probably pay them a lot. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, there yeah, you go. Take, give them a dollar and take fifty cents back for inflation taxes and charges and service fees, right? <laughs> That said, that'll, that'll teach them about taxes. Hey, man, you have a nice weekend. I'm going to go get some brewskis. There you go. Always enjoy, Sean. Appreciate that very much. So not uh, not big on the, uh, the the perfect attendance, not a big deal there. I I think the school should. And you're right. As the parents, we're the ones that ultimately mean it. And I don't want you know participation trophies handed out for every little thing that happens. But for someone who really works hard to make sure they show up to school every single day an entire school year, I personally think that's impressive, especially for an age right now where we don't take things very serious and we're just like, eh, okay, whatever, it's fine. And we're a little bit more on the uh, laxidated side of things. If someone works their you-know-what off to show up to school every single day, I think that the school, who's getting funding, by the way, based on their attendance at that school, especially for the public education system, should give them a pat on the back and say, thank you. You showed up every day, and you made it happen, and you have a great immune system, and you did what you needed to to be healthy and not be sick and not spread germs and actually show up and actually do your educational stuff that we're here to do. So thank you for showing up to that. I think that they should give some type of recognition to that or a pat on the back in some way, shape, or form. Apparently some, though, because COVID's very, very scary, especially for kids who don't get affected by it, that, uh, no, we're not going to count that anymore. Not going to do it. That's all right. You can miss a week saying that you're concerned about COVID and we'll just quarantine you for two weeks. Totally cool. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we've decreased like eight different percentage points on our quality of education over the last two years because of the remote viewing and the laxidated mindset that we've had with our children during the pandemic. All right, we'll take a break. We got lots more to get to. We have some legislative issues uh, to talk about. We have some national issues I want to get your thoughts on. Plus, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General. We'll have him on after the bottom of the hour in a little bit as well. It's Kansas Talk here on The Big Talker, KQAM. back into the show 27 minutes past the hour just a few minutes before the bottom of the hour hey by the way a little programming note for you here on the big talker kqam got a few messages actually got a lot of messages personally got some calls here at kqam regarding our frequencies and wanted to kind of give you the lowdown of what's going on here so we made some changes with the few stations as you know and we announced this a couple of weeks ago that we had purchased a brand new radio station here at Steckline Communications. Now we have just in this market here for the Wichita area, we have one, two, three, we have four radio stations out instead of just two, so that's awesome. Plus our Mid-America Egg Network and all the other stuff we do across the state as well. But regarding these stations, so we are no longer, and I'm sure that many of you found out, many of you didn't even know we had it, which I'm sure you did because you hear the liners and the imaging all the time on the station, but we no longer are on 102.5 on the FM side. On KQAM here, we are now only on the AM dial. At 1480, and of course online and on the streaming and on the tune in and everything, which I know a lot of listeners listen to as well, so we appreciate that very much. But we are no longer on 102.5. Here's the deal. As you know, we did purchase, and so we now are the proud owners of the frequency 99.7 on the FM dial, which is currently La Raza Hispanic radio music, uh, Spanish music, which is awesome, by the way. It sounds really cool. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we've been working very hard here at the studios, and we've been building some two new studios and stuff. Now, La Raza is going to be moving to the 102.5, which it's already on there. So that way, 99.7 will be open for our brand new format, which is, can I say, I think I could say it now, Hank FM. Anybody remember Hank FM? Crank the Hank, baby. It's classic country, 80s, 90s country music. That official switch starts on June 1st, where you can listen to Hank FM. La Raza, if you enjoy the Spanish music, is going to be on the HD2 of 99.7 for the digital channel, HD2, but also is now going to be on the 102.5. KQAM will hopefully get back on an FM translator here at some point on the FM frequency, but right now we have it rocking right here at 1480 on the AM dial. So this is where you can tune in. Very consolidated right here for us to the point. And this is where we're going to be. We're not going anywhere. So stay right here on KQAM. We appreciate that. Lots more coming up here on KQAM. Stay here. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Last half hour, home stretch of Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, trading with honesty and integrity. Make sure to check them out for all their gold and silver needs. They're open until 2.30 this afternoon, also online at philscoins.com. Always go and check those guys out. 
We'll have Phil Martinez back on the program here in a couple of weeks or a week or two to talk about the latest on the gold and silver markets next weekend. Memorial weekend. Hard to believe. It's here already, isn't it? Crazy stuff. Welcome in 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Right now, we sat down just a couple of days ago with the man himself, Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt, as we do about once a month to get an update on the illegal issues in the state of Kansas. What's going on with some litigation, with trying to fight for certain rights, with trying to stop some of the Biden administration. A lot of stuff going on, and that's what we do right here on the show. And we sat down with Derek Schmidt to talk about all that and more. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on another Saturday. Super happy to have this guy back on the program as we get our monthly update from the Attorney General's office here for the state of Kansas. What's going on on the legal side? And obviously, a lot of stuff going on over the last uh, month or so, but excited to have back on here, Kansas Attorney General, Mr. Derek Schmidt. Derek, how are you, my friend? Andy, I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Always great to talk with you. Obviously, a lot of things have happened over the last month since we've last talked, and i got to get your thoughts on these uh, this National Supreme Court issue. I don't seem to remember the last time that we've had an opinion before their official statement released from the U.S. Supreme Court on a case, on any case, actually be leaked to the public with the intent for political terrorism to try and bully the justices into changing their mind before the final decision. It looks like this is unprecedented. Nobody can remember anything like it. There have been whisper leaks and that sort of thing in the past, but never an entire opinion uh, draft leaked out. And then follow-on leaks to try to keep the press apprised of where the coalition within the court is, which is just astounding, absolutely astounding. And then obviously all of the media furor that's been whipped up and all of the furor on the left that's been whipped up and the protests at judges' homes, which I think is just beyond the pale. Uh, so, you know, it, it really is setting aside sort of the immediate issue and the, and the philosophy differences, which is very important, but setting that aside. Uh, I mean, it really is not good for our institutions, for this, you know, these, these folks that at the top of their lungs want to politicize the court to do it this way. And, uh, you know, the, the court shouldn't be bullied. That just shouldn't be something that anybody on any issue of any philosophy uh, tries to re- resort to. That totally out of the realm of the whole separation of the different branches of government and the fact that the Supreme Court and the judicial branch is supposed to be nonpartisan in any way, shape, or form. This is not supposed to happen, but why do you think it is happening now? Is it a sign of you know, them, the, the desperation of certain political ideologies at the federal level? Are they scared of what they actually could come out with? I mean, why is this happening now? Well, I think it's a combination of things, Andy. I think one is certainly a, you know, a substantive reaction to what some folks in our country think is going to happen if this, if this uh, you know, draft opinion follows through and, and the court rolls back row uh, and reverses it. So some of it is substantive. But I also think there's a significant element here that is just political. This is an election year. I think uh, Democrats in particular, but uh, uh, they, they think that there is political advantage to be gained by really, really trying to whip their folks into a frenzy, because frankly, they're demoralized. They're, they're embarrassed to have Joe Biden in the White House. They're not excited to have Laura Kelly in the governor's office. They think they're going to lose the House and the Senate, which I think so as well. They're frustrated with unbelievably high gas prices and shortages on the grocery store shelves. Uh, and uh, you know, very high prices at the grocery store, and all of the problems that have been caused in this country by failed Biden uh, policies. Uh, and they, they, a lot of their folks were, were not really looking to vote, they think. And so uh, here they are. They think they've got an issue. They can whip their people up and get them to turn out. So there, there's politics in play as well as any you know substantive uh, dynamics on the issue as well. Yeah. Do you think that it's actually going to change the opinion of the Supreme Court, or do you think they're going to stay firm depending on whatever their decision comes out to be at the end? 
Well, I don't know what the court's ultimate decision is going to be, but I have a high degree of confidence that decision will be whatever it would have been, uh, and that all of this noise and fear and these uh, uh, really shameful protests at Justice's homes, and I think it's all going to fail. I just, I think at the end of the day, uh, these justices are people of integrity. I believe that. Uh, even the ones I disagree with, I, I respect tremendously. Mm. And uh, I don't think they are going to be bullied. And I think that uh, they're going to defend the integrity of their institution. That is good news. Now, here's the thing. And I know you've been involved with this, trying to urge the federal government to you know, actually enforce the laws that are on the books, which is kind of wild because that doesn't seem to happen on uh, a lot of fronts. But apparently there is. And I was not aware of this, but there are laws on the books about actually protesting and trying to intimidate U.S. Supreme Court justices, isn't there? That's right. There's a federal statute that is specifically designed uh, to address efforts to bully federal judges, including but not limited to Supreme Court justices. Uh, and it's it's designed to defend the independence of the judiciary. I mean, there's nothing wrong with protest as a general matter. Of course, in our society, people are free to express their views. Uh, and sometimes, you know, people can really go right up to the line of what's appropriate versus what becomes unlawful or really inappropriate conduct when they're expressing their views, say, again, with a legislature or you know, an executive official, folks that are in the political fray. But courts are different. Courts are not supposed to be there. They're not supposed to be lobbied. They're not supposed to be bullied. They're supposed to exercise judgment on the law. Mm. And that's why there's a, a federal statute that specifically as to federal judges uh, makes it unlawful to picket uh, 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 and protest at their homes. Uh, that's not what judges signed up for, and it's not the way this is supposed to work. So. Um, the law is on the books, and uh, we had written to Attorney General Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, who, of course, is responsible for the enforcement of federal law, and asked him to really step up their efforts to enforce that law. And there has been some movement since then. I don't know about enforcing the law in particular, but uh, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, has been more engaged with the security folks for the Supreme Court. I, there was just a headline in the papers today I was reading that uh, DOJ officials are now meeting with the uh, courts martial service to uh, better coordinate and integrate security measures for the justices. Sad that it's necessary, but I think that's a step in the right direction. We're talking with Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Let's shift gears to COVID-19 here. I know we've talked about it quite a bit over the last year or so, and obviously you've been focused with a lot of attention and court cases regarding vaccine mandates and mask mandates. Well, one of the issues obviously has been the healthcare workers that you've been focused on lately trying to end some of these mandates that's been drastically affecting the healthcare workers specifically across the nation and here in the state of Kansas. What's the latest on this topic? So I know that these issues of the Biden vaccine mandates, the federal decrees that say thou shalt be vaccinated or else there'll be consequences, you'll lose your job or you lose your contracts or whatever. Uh, I know those have sort of fallen out of the headlines, but they're still very real. And I've, I've been very disappointed that the Biden administration continues to fight tooth and nail in court to try to be able to enforce those mandates. Uh, we have the so-called federal contractor mandate, the one that affects uh, Spirit and Textron and WSU and KU and K-State and all that. We have that one on hold by court order. Uh, you would have thought that maybe the administration would just quietly back off on it, but no, they continue to fight us very hard on that to try to reinstate that mandate that we have blocked. We just had arguments down in Georgia on that a couple of weeks ago. We're waiting for the appellate court down there, the 11th Circuit, to, uh, to rule. Hopefully they're going to keep our injunction in place. The Biden administration continues to fight us to reinstate their so-called Head Start mandate, the requirement 
that not only anybody who works at a Head Start has to be vaccinated, but also every person in a Head Start, including the kids if they're age two and older, must be masked. Wow. Uh, we haven't seen that in Kansas because we have an injunction in place for Kansas that's blocked the Biden administration from enforcing that. But they are enforcing it in about half the states. They're just not enforcing it here because we've got them blocked. You would have thought that maybe they would have uh, sort of quietly eased off on that. But no, they're still in court fighting tooth and nail, uh, trying to get our injunction dissolved so they can enforce that mandate in Kansas and elsewhere. And then the one that uh, we've just had some uh, uh, action on is the so-called CMS mandate. This is the mandate that uh, all healthcare workers, including nursing home workers, must be vaccinated or else uh, they can't keep their jobs. And um, we've seen somewhat limited disruption on that in Kansas so far. We were not successful the first time around getting an injunction to block it. So technically, that mandate is in place. But because uh, there's, there really hasn't been strict enforcement of the mandate is the bottom line, in part because our legislature uh, said by law state employees can't enforce it. So now the feds have had to come in and do it themselves. They said they're going to, but they haven't really done it in a widespread way yet. And so there's been some wiggle room that lets people just keep on going. But um, th that won't last forever. I mean, eventually the feds, unless the Biden administration backs off, they will enforce the mandate. Right. And uh, it's a real problem for us. And so we're we're in court once again trying to get that one blocked. We just went back to the U.S. Supreme Court this past week, and we're going to keep fighting to try to get an injunction there. And, you know, the, the real irony in that one, I think, is we're, we're talking about a, a group of healthcare workers who, in some cases, they have been on the front lines helping Kansans who have been ill through the COVID pandemic since day one. And now you've got the federal government saying, despite everything you've done to help people through this pandemic, you can't keep doing that unless you decide to go get vaccinated. And most most will decide to. The vast majority will decide to, but some won't. And sure. at the end of the day, that's their decision, not their federal government's decision. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's their prerogative to choose whether they do so or not. Has this affected the healthcare industry at all with people wanting to come in with new individuals trying to come into the healthcare industry or or as like you said current doctors or nurses that just don't want to i mean has this taken a negative hit on the industry that's already being strained yes and i say that based on discussions with a lot of providers around the state some of it is difficult to quantify um you know you can tell if you have an employee they refuse vaccination and then they leave either of their own volition because they think the mandate's going to be enforced or they're told to leave because their employer wants to remain in compliance with the mandate to avoid consequences. So you can see that. But what's harder to quantify is the number of individuals who might choose to come into the healthcare profession who simply don't do it in the first place because they, they know that this uh, mandate's in place. And uh, it's tough to quantify, but I mean, you know, if you talk with providers all over the state, whether it's nursing homes, hospitals, clinics, whatever it may be, there is a tremendous shortage of healthcare workers. And I'm not saying it's all caused by the mandate. I don't believe that to be true, but the mandate certainly contributes to it. Uh, sure. It's an avoidance factor where people who might otherwise come into the field uh, to help provide care to Kansans instead say, I'm going to go do something else, not deal with all this federal mandate stuff, just not going to do it. Well, and what's frustrating is that every other industry has let go of these types of things for the most part. I mean, we still have some lingering ones here and there, but overall, as industries or individual businesses, they're not mandating vaccines any longer. They're not uh, mandating mask wearing any longer. And even with close contact businesses with salons and barbershops and that sort of thing, we're not worrying about that, but all of a sudden the healthcare workers have to or else you're out. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No, I mean, you know, you know, I've talked about this before, Andy, and it, you, 
you know, it's been a tough time that we've all come through and people made their different decisions and, and, you know, we all go forward. But the thing that's really been just the, the ultimate disruption that I thought was beyond the pale from the beginning was the decision by the federal government to take up these mandates. The president's announcement on September 9th of last year that the federal, that he's run out of patience. Remember that he's run out of patience. And uh, so he was going to order all of us uh, to comply and bend to his will. And that's just beyond the authority of what the, the federal government is supposed to be doing. I think it's beyond the authority of what they legally can do, but that's what we're litigating. But even if it's lawful, it's not right. Uh, right. This sort of one-size-fits-all centralized intrusion of the federal government into millions upon millions of Americans' personal health care decisions, it, it, it is just not right. And that's why we're fighting back so hard. Amen for that one. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit to some human trafficking. It's been an issue that's been an issue for, obviously, a long time. Candace has always been trying to battle that one as well. But you've been working on some rules regarding victims of trafficking and something that we don't really think about, but how obviously their life was taken from them and taken advantage of and how it, it kind of ruined them. But on a deeper level regarding, you know, debts or their credit history or some of those issues that you're bringing to light right now. That's right. Uh, you know, human trafficking, terrible, terrible crime, scourge upon society. And it's a crime where the offender, the trafficker, um, exerts control over the victim, the person who is trafficked, in many, many ways. But generally speaking, they do it by trying to create a complete dependency upon the trafficker. They make this person, to the, the fullest extent of their capacity, dependent upon the trafficker for everything, from food to attention to transportation to clothing to the necessities of life. And that dependence, in turn, gives the trafficker control over that individual. That's a general statement. So one of the ways that tends to occur, which is one of the things that a lot of traffickers will do, is they will make the, the victim, the individual, um, completely dependent financially upon the tracker. They'll ruin their credit so that they can't go get their own credit cards, can't open a bank account, can't conduct their own financial transactions. They have to go through um, their trafficker, and therefore the trafficker maintains that additional control. Well, what happens in a case then where an individual a victim becomes a survivor, a trafficker is arrested, a person is pulled out of the life, uh, they're able to be in a position to move on, but still their finances are wrecked, and it's very hard to get back on your feet. That's just one issue, but it is a real issue. Yeah. So Congress passed something called the Debt Bondage Act, and it's designed to deal with that group of survivors. Uh, and basically it instructed the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, to set up a whole bunch of new uh, mechanisms and methods to help people who are victims of human trafficking, who become survivors and are trying to get back on their feet, uh, to repair their credit so they can, in fact, uh, get a fresh start financially and, and do the basics of life that we all take for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, CFPB has really dragged its feet on that. They've been slow in getting it implemented. So what we've done is a group of us uh, have written to CFPB here in the past couple of weeks and said, get your act together. Uh, you know, People's lives are at stake. There's not time to dawdle. Uh, Congress has passed a law, told you what to do, get this thing done so that we can start helping survivors. So it, it is only one thing in a much, much, much bigger issue, but it is one thing we can do and, and we ought to get it done. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great to be able to help repair some of these individuals because, I mean, they've already had their life completely shaken up by going through some of this stuff, actually get them back on track to where they can have their finances in order, their credit back in order is just one thing to maybe take a sigh of relief of, huh, things are almost back to normal if they can get to that point. Absolutely. I mean, it's the basics of life, Andy. And, um, you know, it was 
deliberately taken from folks by traffickers, and we, to the extent we can help uh, restore that, we ought to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Last question before we let you go, and we appreciate your time very much. It's Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt talking about some of the legal stuff here. Uh, we talk a lot about the opioid addiction. You've talked about different opioid problems here in the state of Kansas, and we continuously try to battle these issues, but uh, it's something that's going to be lingering, and we always have to try and uh, minimize it the best we can. However, we're always really good at doing a drug take-back day across the state as well, where every time we do this, massive amounts of opioids or pharmaceutical pills or uh, or whatever things that people don't need anymore get brought back and we can dispose of them properly, which is a great success for the state of Kansas, isn't it? It is. I mean, the, the volume of pharmaceuticals uh, that are, are properly prescribed, properly sold, but then not used either because an individual stops early or they were never needed or whatever reason. I mean, it's happened. You know, everybody's seen it in their, in their families and themselves. And then you've got, sitting in your medicine cabinet, you've got this partially full bottle of pills, and the question becomes, what do you do with it? Uh, you don't want to flush it down the toilet, uh, then that stuff dissolves and winds up in our water supply. They used to tell you to do that, but don't do that. That's, a, that's not a good idea, we've learned. Um, sometimes there's temptation, and those pills get they fall into the wrong hands. They get sold out on the black market. They're diverted is the term that's often used. Um, uh, they have a, a real value, especially if there are opioids or, or other pills that have a street value. And so, you know, our idea is just we, we try to continue this drumbeat of the message. When you get a bottle of pills or medication from the pharmacy and it's prescribed, it's a controlled substance, you take on the responsibility to continue to control that substance until it's either used up as, as prescribed or safely destroyed so it can't be diverted to misuse. And to try to remind people of that, of course, you have to do that every day, all day, every day. That's true. But we do these twice a year drug take-back partnerships with local law enforcement and federal law enforcement and others where we really talk about this and remind people, clean out the medicine cabinets, bring those old drugs out, drop them off at these locations. They'll be safely and securely destroyed for free. There are places you can do that all year round, some sheriff's offices and a few pharmacies and that sort of thing. But we really try to step it up on those two occasions, spring and fall. And it's unbelievable the amount of unneeded, unwanted medications that get turned in and safely destroyed, and therefore they aren't out on the streets being diverted. We we collected this last drug take-back day, which was uh, last month. We collected uh, three and a half tons, tons, wow. three and a half tons of unwanted, unneeded medications in Kansas. And since we started doing this back in 2010, just the, the year before I took office as AG, um, uh, Kansas alone, it's not nationwide, Kansas alone has collected and safely destroyed roughly the equivalent of five semi-truck trailers full <laughs> of unneeded, unwanted medications. I mean, that is an astounding concept to me, that that's how much of this stuff there is out there that um, is available for misuse unless it's properly uh, destroyed. Well, it brings up a lot of different uh, uh, thoughts and conversations there. I mean, number one, we already know that we have a major pharmaceutical issue in the country with uh, the average American and being on anywhere between four to six pills daily, which is a huge thing. I mean, we're number one in the world when it comes to the amount of pharmaceuticals that we use. And then the waste of that as well, of how much people aren't using, is very scary. The good news is, like you mentioned, is that it's not just sitting around to be abused or used improperly, but to actually be stored and be given to you guys to where you can actually get rid of it properly is a good sign, but it's just mind-blowing how much of it's actually out there. You're absolutely right. I mean, of course, the best outcome would be that, that, that uh, uh, medications are prescribed when needed, 
they're used when needed and there is no excess at the end, uh, no unused amount, and so the system works the way it's supposed to. That would be the best. It's less yeah. wasteful, it's more targeted, it's more appropriate. But, uh, you know, until we reach that day, the reality is there is a lot of excess out there, and so we, we do these things to try to try to avoid diverting those unused medications to improper purposes and instead get them safely destroyed so they aren't hurting anybody. Exactly. Very good. Very good. Last question, I lied. Last question for you before we let you go. Uh, but as we get towards the end of the legislative session this year for 2022, they do have their sign and die day coming up in about a week or so left uh, to kind of finish things up. But your thoughts just on the session overall, I know you worked with a lot of different pieces of legislation to try and help Candace and move forward on stuff, but your thoughts on how the session went this year and if you were overall pleased or displeased with kind of what happened. You know, overall, I think it was a positive session. I was absolutely delighted at the amount of public debt that the legislature chose to pay off this year. I know that's not, you know, a really exciting topic that gets people up in the morning and saying, uh, here, let's go. But just like with your household or your business, when you have an unexpected opportunity uh, to pay off debt in advance, that is so healthy in the long term because it saves you an enormous amount of money in interest or carrying costs. The biggest piece of that public debt repayment was the decision by the legislature to prepay $1.1 billion in the state's pension obligation, the CAPERS system. That was something I recommended uh, before the session began. We worked very hard with the legislative leadership to get that through. It wasn't nearly as easy as it looked because even though publicly everybody was all for it, privately there was a lot of opposition because there were people who wanted to use that $1.1 billion to spend on lots of other popular things, uh, programs, spend it now rather than do the responsible thing and pay off debt so that we get long-term benefit. But we got it done. That, that pension prepayment, that debt re- uh, resolution alone, uh, will save us an estimated around $100 million per year in wow. basically interest costs, in, uh, in carrying costs for that debt. And that's money that can be returned to taxpayers with future tax relief. It's money that can stabilize future budgets if, when we have the next downturn and uh, things are tough. It's money that can support stability of state programs. It's, uh, it's, it's really a terrific thing. So I was thrilled with that. I think it was the right thing to do, and it was a heavy lift, but we got it done. Obviously, there's been some good tax relief. Republicans put the uh, property tax relief, homeowners' property tax relief on the governor's desk. She did sign it. Uh, we worked together and got the food sales tax phase out on the books. I'm thrilled with that. I hope it happens this time. Last time there was a phase out, the governor vetoed it, so it didn't happen this time. I think it's on the books, and so I'm hopeful it's really going to happen. Uh, there was a lot of money set aside in the state's rainy day fund. Again, I know not exciting, but the truth is there will be another economic downturn. It will come. That's the nature of our market economy. And when it does, having a significant amount of money set aside in the rainy day fund will help uh, the state's leaders really cushion the, the blow and uh, minimize the disruption to services everybody relies on. So I, I think there were some very good things that happened this year, and I, I really commend uh, the leadership. And, and I'll specifically say, uh, House Speaker Reichman and Senate President Masterson, they, they stepped up in a big way, provided leadership, and, and got a lot of good things done. Sure. Well, I must be one of those weird ones because I do. I get excited. That's what wakes me up in the morning is knowing that we, we're paying off debt and lowering taxes. That what That's what makes me a very happy individual going into the year. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love it. It's Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. We love it. We appreciate your time very much talking about all these issues. Keep up the fight, my friend. I know it's going to be a big year, especially as we go into the summertime as well, which we're going to be talking more about you uh, about some of that as it gets closer. So, uh, Derek, we appreciate the time, my friend, and we'll look forward to chatting again real soon. 
Really appreciate it. Great to be with you, Andy. Thank you. Take care. All right, there it is. Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. We always appreciate his time very, very much. Always great to chat with him and all the time that he gives us. Obviously, we're working on a lot of issues here in the state of Kansas. And remember, now we're starting to slide away from legislative session time to now election season of 2022 with the legislative seats, the midterms, and the governor's race, which he is running for governor right now. I, I don't know if you've seen it. These campaign ads from Laura Kelly already. We're in May. And they started in April. These campaign attack ads on Derek Schmidt calling him going back to Brownback. How scary it is to cut those taxes and deregulate. How dare you do those conservative things that actually make the economy flourish and grow. So we'll talk about election season here as we get closer to that as well. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit for those that like to listen to that one. Back at it on Monday for The Voice Reason, our next show next week. With Memorial Weekend, we will be here right at Rock and Roll for you there as well and kick off your weekend into the unofficial start to summer. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. This is Andy Hoosier on Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker 1480 KQAM.